Hey everybody, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Tyler Breidigan, and I'm the host of today's Cyber Spotlight on Wiley Connected. This episode is focusing on some big changes underway on cybersecurity. Last week, we saw the release of a new national cybersecurity strategy, and there are many other major developments. I'm joined by some amazing cyber practitioners from Wiley Ride. First up, joining us is Megan Brown, who has been on the front lines of crafting and responding to nearly every federal privacy initiative since 2010. I'm also joined by Lynn Brown, who, prior to joining Wiley, amassed national security and cybersecurity experience at the FBI, CIA, and the White House. And lastly, Kat Scott is joining us, who advises on an array of clients from nearly every sector on current and forthcoming privacy and cybersecurity obligations. Welcome, everybody. Hi there. Hi, Tyler. Hey. So thank you all for making the time. Um, Last year, as we've covered in prior episodes, we saw a continued rise in the number of omnibus state privacy laws and the different obligations those impose on companies around the country. Fresh off those significant shifts in the privacy landscape, we're now seeing a similar seismic shift in cybersecurity at the federal level. It seems each week a federal agency is announcing a new cybersecurity rulemaking. So let's start broad. Megan, how do you think clients should be approaching their cybersecurity strategy? Well, that's a great question. They're certainly dealing with a lot of incoming developments that are really challenging to keep track of. So sort of basics is making sure they're identifying and sticking to best practices, um, trying their best to stay ahead of new developments in any of the regulatory agencies that may touch on them, as well as at the Department of Homeland Security. They've put out some cybersecurity performance goals that we expect to make into regulation at some point. We think looking at doing tabletop exercises, practicing your basic cyber hygiene, and maybe looking at some of the security directives and other things that are applying to different industries, because you can get a sense from those where the government is headed for the broader private sector. Like just that, just last week, I think, um, in response to the strategy, EPA's taken action on the water sector and TSA took more action on aviation. So, you know, those are places to look and it is rapidly accelerating. I think the key is preparation. Companies should have a cyber incident response plan and regularly schedule tabletop exercises to help them prepare for a cyber attack, especially a ransomware attack, which can potentially cripple operations for a period of time. So not only have a plan, but have the relevant vendors lined up in advance, like a forensic consultant, a ransomware negotiator, a payment facilitator, or a communications firm in order to save time at the front end of a cyber attack and track the government cyber alerts to try to stay ahead of threats and train your personnel on how to respond to or prevent a cyber attack. Phishing remains one of the most prevalent means for threat actors to infiltrate company systems, spoof emails, alter payment information. So teach employees how to be alert to possible phishing attacks and confirm changes in payment information in person. So it seems like in addition to being prepared, there's been a lot of new cybersecurity regulatory activity coming out of Washington, DC. Kat, what initiatives have you been watching closely? There really are just a ton. I mean, we're involved in dozens of proceedings. I'll just name a few. DHS has to implement the Cybersecurity Incident Reporting for Critical Infrastructure Act, or CIRCIA. Uh, that was enacted in 2022, and it sets in motion massive new regulatory framework uh, uh, and regime for 
private companies to report cyber incidents and ransomware events. Then you have the Securities and Exchange Commission. They have uh, pending rulemaking right now to require public disclosure uh, of material cyber incidents uh, for regulated public uh, companies, among other things. Uh, the Federal Communications Commission has been really active in the cybersecurity space. They are right now proposing to expand their breach reporting requirements substantially, and that applies to um, CPNI. Uh, then you have the Federal Trade Commission. The Federal Trade Commission has a lot going on. One of the biggest things happening right now is their data security and privacy rulemaking, and that is currently underway. You have TSA and the EPA. They have new mandates, some through security directives and some through rules. Um, and then just dozens of work streams at NIST um, and DHS under several executive orders. They're looking at software security mandates, security labeling for IoT and connected devices. Um, Megan mentioned this earlier, but DHS is doing cybersecurity performance goals for critical infrastructure. And the list really just goes on. So the agencies have been busy is what you're telling us. <laughs> Very <laughs> busy. So in addition to that, uh, Last week, um, the long-awaited national cybersecurity strategy was released by the Biden administration and has been getting, for good reason, a lot of attention. Um, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, well, the strategy has five pillars. Uh, they focus on groupings of cyber risks and responses. I think we're going to do a, a deeper dive later on in the podcast, but overall, it focuses on securing critical infrastructure, making it harder for the bad guys, investing in security and technology, allocating liabilities, and continuing U.S. cyber work internationally. And one of the key takeaways is that government oversight is going to substantially increase. The administration is moving away from using federal guidance as models um, and instead is moving to promote sort of baseline cybersecurity regulatory standards, some of which are pretty onerous. Yes, I think the overall message of the new cybersecurity strategy is clear. The Biden administration believes that the U.S. can no longer rely on voluntary collaboration and vigilance against cyber threats. So the administration feels it must shift responsibility to industry through regulations because it thinks the market has failed to incentivize cybersecurity sufficiently. We're moving essentially from the voluntary public-private partnership model to a much more rigid regulatory regime. That seems like a pretty substantial shift in sort of the regulatory uh, frameworks that have traditionally been applied. Are there any aspects of the national cyber strategy that you think companies should be particularly concerned about? Yeah, I mean, just to drill down a bit, the White House has made it clear there are more regulations coming. There have been regulations coming, you know, coming online for the past couple of years on a sector by sector basis. And we're just going to see that accelerate. Um, just this week, we saw two new moves and they're, you know, forthcoming obligations tucked into the strategy for Internet providers. There's going to be several calls for legislation. A lot in the strategy is ambitious and needs uh, Congress to act. And quite frankly, I think the discussion of liabilities is risky because I think it it has a risk of harming collaboration in cyber events when you start encouraging people to to point fingers at each other and, and think about liability and, and sort of damages. 
Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. The other thing I'm I'm a little concerned about is just this issue of of conflicting and overlapping requirements. And what's not clear from this strategy is how the regulations that are going to be forthcoming and that are already here will be deconflicted, right? There there are options to do it. This could happen through interagency process uh, led by National Security Council or through the statutory mandates of the Office of the National Cyber Director. It could happen through the Cyber Incident Reporting Council that was established by Congress. Uh, And there's also an interagency group that's chaired by the FCC chairwoman. But despite all these channels, we really haven't seen tangible movement toward deconfliction. And I worry that some of these new mandates and calls for regulation, accountability, and punishment may actually make companies less willing to work, for instance, with the FBI, which has made such inroads in encouraging voluntary cooperation in the face of a cyber attack. That trust was not easy to build. And I would like to have seen the administration work to safeguard it and try and enhance cooperation with law enforcement more. So I noticed the strategy talks a lot about um, quote, re- rebalancing responsibility. Do you just give our listeners um, sort of a preview of what that means? Well, the White House is portraying the strategy as a rebalancing of responsibility so that risk is not devolved down to small businesses or individuals or local governments. The theory is that the most capable actors, including the federal government, should do more. I think it's important to note that the most capable actors language seems particularly focused on cloud providers and software or hardware manufacturers. And I think this is where the strategy, where where things get a little hard from a policy perspective and a legal perspective. The administration is suggesting, um, and this was true with the rollout as well, that consumers and end users and localities are are basically unprotected and left to fight nation states by themselves. That's not really exactly right. I mean, yes, there are um, disparities in, in resourcing and capabilities, but companies and service providers do a ton presently to defeat cyber attacks. And there are a lot of things that small and medium-sized businesses can and should be doing and are doing, quite frankly. Um, and from my perspective, the government, instead of um, sort of trying to reallocate or create liabilities and responsibilities, should be looking to help the private sector, both helping the smaller folks and people at NIST have asked for this or have give us guidance, give us tools and help us, but also help the larger operators and others do even better by, for example, sharing intelligence and better bilateral information sharing. So that's one of my takeaways is this rebalancing, I think, is is a little a little problematic. I mean, then why with this rebalancing, are they pivoting to regulations? I mean, what do you think is sort of motivating the White House to take this position? Well, I think the Colonial Pipeline cyber attack was a wake-up call to policymakers about the potential risks to critical infrastructure. But should Colonial Pipeline be considered the baseline for all industries? I mean, yes, there were gas lines and there were shortages along the East Coast, and, and that's serious, but not all industries are similarly situated. We know, for instance, that rail and the aviation industries have a long history of prioritizing security, preparation, and planning. And I know ONCD is talking about light targeted regulation that is harmonized and highly collaborative and that companies should be regulated once, but is that realistic? Are they really going to tell the SEC, for instance, to stand down and not require public disclosure of material cyber incidents because it's duplicative? 
Yeah, I agree. I, ONCD, CISA, and OMB, I really think need to work hard, and I think they want to, um, to get agencies on the same page. And this is, you know, why in part we filed a brief for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce recently in a, in a pretty important case in which the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, is demanding by subpoena that a law firm hand over a client list and files after the law firm was breached by uh, what I think has been uh, suggested as a Chinese nation state based um, uh, hacking group. And the chamber's brief there argues that that SEC effort and its theories and assertion of authority here is harmful to federal cyber policy because it's at odds with the many other agencies who are doing, uh, you know, efforts to protect victims, help victims, not uh, punish them or, or name and shame. And so I, I had wanted to see more in the strategy about harmonization. There's a there's a paragraph or so, but this is, I think, one of the biggest policy ch- challenges for Congress and the administration at this point. Yeah. You know, that said, I, I do want to jump in and talk about some of the things that I think are, are good in this strategy. I think there 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 are some things to appreciate. <laughs> so in several places, it uh, recognizes the need for federal agencies to do more on their end to improve basic security. And that's really important here. It also talks about regulation in a way that is helpful. So when it does talk about regulation, it says that mandates should be based on standards and best practices. And those are things and guiding principles that we definitely like to see. And then also it calls for investment in U.S. technology and leadership in several areas. So overall, a lot of concerning uh, aspects of this strategy, but some, some redeeming qualities too. Let's walk listeners through a few highlights of the new White House strategy. So Pillar 1 offers ambitious goals to defend critical infrastructure. Uh, What are some of the key takeaways that a casual reader might miss? Okay, so this is where sort of we dive into the strategy, and if people can be patient with the 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 words that the government uses in these strategies, the pillars and the goals and the objectives. But Pillar One has this goal of operationalizing this notion of collaborative defense that quote equitably distributes risk and responsibility, and that's where this strategy kind of pivots quickly and early um, to the need for regulation, right? As as Lynn had suggested or, or said. It suggests the market has poor incentives to invest in cyber, and therefore they want to aggressively use existing authorities to close what they see as gaps. But also, they recognize that there are places where they need more authority, where the agencies might not have authority now, so they're going to have to go to Congress. Personally, I question that premise. I think a lot of companies are investing heavily in cyber. I don't think they have an incentive to have their networks go down, data stolen, or operations interrupted. So it's really kind of, uh, I don't know that it's fair to say that there's inadequate incentives. There's just maybe, you know, more that can be done and the government can help. Anyway, what this means is you're going to see more regulations by departments and agencies. One thing to note, they had a couple sentences in here. I found it remarkable that the strategy would explicitly call for state regulation uh, when the administration has already received some pushback from uh, for a letter that the president wrote to state governors a while back calling on them to regulate cyber. And that's precisely the kind of fragmentation that we don't want to see. Um, I would hate to see the state patchwork of data privacy um, laws flower in the cyberspace. 
Yeah. This pillar also um, uh, talks about the security of federal systems um, and the strategy notes ongoing efforts to implement a zero trust architecture strategy and modernize IT and OT infrastructure across the federal government. Federal IT um, security, as, as we sort of mentioned earlier, has been a perennial challenge. Um, and in light of recent public recognition of federal security challenges and breaches, you know, the, the federal government may not exactly be the model that the White House envisions for critical infrastructure across the United States for how to successfully build and operate secure and resilient systems. Awesome. And then Pillar 2 calls for initiatives to disrupt threat actors, which I think every company has been trying to do on their own to some extent. How will that impact the private sector? So the administration says it wants to use all instruments of national power, and that's not new. I mean, that's been part of every cyber strategy um, in the past. They want to build on those disruptive efforts by doing greater collaboration, and they have some creative ideas in there, but it's really trying to put on steroids some of the collaboration that's already happened. Right. And Pillar 2 also says that the Department of Justice will lead federal efforts to integrate federal disruption activities and increase intelligence sharing and victim notification through the FBI and through NCIJTF, the National Cyber Investigative Joint Task Force. But those efforts were also already ongoing and doing quite well, I think. The strategy acknowledges that ransomware is, is a threat. Um, and that it has had a tremendous impact because it's disrupted hospitals and schools and pipeline operations, as we just talked about, government services and other aspects of critical infrastructure or essential services. I am glad, however, to see that they're countering uh, ransom attacks, particularly those from Russia, Iran, and North Korea on key critical infrastructure services, and that those efforts will continue to be a top priority. There's also a lot of concern in this pillar about misuse or the the use of U.S. infrastructure by malicious um, actors. So there was already an executive order put out. It's a 13984 that this uh, strategy sort of doubles down on. So I think we can expect to see movement on this executive order, which is really about imposing know your customer obligations on Internet service providers. Um, and I think that's kind of concerning. And I think that we'll have to see how they want to tackle that. But I think that's a that's going to be a, a nettlesome area for them. Yeah, definitely. And then in pillar three, it looks like the Biden administration announced an intent to what they're calling reshape market forces to drive security and resilience. Kat, could you tell, tell our listeners more about that? Yeah. Um, overall, the Biden administration um, in this pillar really believes that government needs to do more to incentivize industry to prioritize cyber risk management. So they want to work with Congress to pass national privacy legislation uh, that imposes limits on the ability to collect, use, transfer, and store personal data. The administration plans to work with Congress also on legislation establishing liability for software products and services onto developers and manufacturers. The administration supports a liability safe harbor for software manufacturers. The administration in this effort will offer grants or incentives to help companies build security and resiliency by design. And similarly, the government will seek to leverage the federal procurement process in this effort too to improve accountability. Finally, under this pillar, the administration plans to uh, study whether federal cybersecurity insurance uh, is necessary as a backstop for catastrophic cybersecurity incidents and uh, looking into whether that should be required. The government already began an inquiry on that 
um, last year. Um, but uh, this uh, this strategy gives that effort new energy. So I think national privacy legislation and the enhanced software safety liability concepts are, are may prove to be heavy lifts. I'm optimistic that maybe we'll get privacy legislation done, but uh, we'll see. I'm particularly troubled, frankly, by the focus on liability in several places in the strategy, and that builds on some ideas from the Cyberspace Solarium Commission a couple of years ago. I, I just think it's the wrong tone to set and encourages organizations in an incident or when a supplier has an incident, like in a Log4j or a SolarWinds, to think first about blame and responsibility instead of collaboration and cooperation to address the situation. And I just think that's not a great dynamic. I also just don't see the utility of publicly shaming companies or encouraging companies in the supply chain to prematurely take this kind of adversarial posture and immediately be worried about liability and risk and, and contract terms. It's important. It's there. But it's it, I don't know that it should be the first thing that people think of. And this emphasis, I, I, I fear, encourages that. Yeah, that makes sense. So pillar four calls for steps to invest in a resilient future. What should listeners care about there? Um, so pillar four talks about this resilient future and and um, taking steps to secure internet protocols. Um, I think they may be a little too pessimistic about the current state of internet security, um, and they don't have a real specific answer there or guide for the agencies about what needs to be done about it. But I, I was really pleased to see some of the federal research and development activities that they're thinking about to, you know, use DHS and NIST and some of these um, FFRDCs to to promote technology and innovation. And I think that's promising and would support longstanding federal policy about use of global standards and letting the private sector come up with the best practices and then roll those out. That to me was a nice part of the strategy. Agree. And multiple work streams are already underway across the government in the private sector on internet security. So some of these efforts raise really hard policy and practical and legal questions and may need sustained collaboration domestically and globally. Uh, ONCD and the White House m may find it challenging to coordinate across these disparate efforts and avoid duplication of, of that ongoing work. Yeah, we've definitely been monitoring all those different work streams. Um, so Pillar 5 talks about international partnerships. So what does the White House have in mind here and how much of it is really new? Pillar 5 moves to the international scene as it outlines important roles for several departments and agencies. So the Department of State will focus on capacity building priorities with key U.S. partners. Uh, DOJ, of course, will, will focus on global crime. Interestingly, the, the U.S. will be leading a NATO effort to build a virtual cyber incident support capability to enable allies to respond collectively to cyber threats. As for what's really new, the U.S. has already exercised considerable leadership in fighting international crime. Recently, FBI and DOJ announced a successful takedown of the Hive Network in coordination with law enforcement entities around the world. This disruption effort reportedly thwarted over $130 million in uh, ransom demand. So I think it's fair to say that the U.S. has already been successfully coordinating international efforts to investigate and prosecute cyber crime worldwide is in it's indicated by the sequencing of these types of disruption operations by FBI and DOJ for the last several years utilizing you know an all tools approach to target malicious cyber activities 
There's a lot going on in the White House strategy. Um, <laughs> I want to briefly talk about another notable cyber development. Um, to the Department of Commerce's National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, their cybersecurity framework. So uh, that framework is a tool designed to help organizations create cybersecurity programs that align with the organization's risk tolerance at a high level. Um, so Kat, can you give our listeners a preview of some changes to the framework that they should be expecting? Absolutely. So that's exactly right. NIST is uh, currently updating the cybersecurity framework or the CSF. Its current version is 1.1 and they're doing an update to version 2.0. Uh, they've released a concept paper that outlines um, what they expect to change um, in this update and comments are actually due on that concept paper uh, in a few days here on, uh, on March 17th. Um, the agency has held several workshops and, uh, uh, and other activities for organizations to participate and collaborate in this effort. And we expect some pretty important changes. Um, right now, there's a pretty spirited debate going on about um, some structural changes that would move governance and cybersecurity, supply chain risk management up in prominence in the framework some sectors and participants don't think that it's a good idea to do that because it may impact backward compatibility of the CSF. And that's really important, especially given that dozens of mappings and even foreign government um, uh, efforts have been built off of the existing CSF um, and the existing core. Uh, so, um, you know, a lot of folks are cautioning this not to make major changes to not disrupt those efforts that are built on top of the CSF. So that seems like it's an ongoing process that companies should be aware of. Yeah, I think it's really important to watch because companies across the economy are going to be expected to use it. If the CSF has been very successful, um, NIST is considering, however, those major changes that Kat said. And I think there's a few real interesting sort of debates going on with the private sector users and NIST. Um, but I think all private sector companies should watch for what pops out over the next year. Yeah, that's great to know. So it's a, it sounds like we'll cover that in a later episode as it develops more. Um, so in closing, and as a teaser for future discussions, what are each of you watching in the next few months on cyber? I'm watching the regulatory rollout and deconfliction efforts. Just yesterday, TSA released new cyber rules for airports and airline operators. The new aviation rules track with what we saw with the rail security directives in several ways. Both rail and aviation need a, a designated cybersecurity coordinator, a vulnerability assessment, a cyber incident response plan, and a cyber implementation plan focused on quote unquote defense in depth that's approved by TSA. So I'm following how these new rules will be harmonized or deconflicted with, for instance, the rules that are going to be issued soon by CISA or the SEC. Yeah, one agency I'm watching really closely for cyber regulatory developments is the FTC. In addition to the security and privacy rulemaking that I talked about a little earlier, the FTC has been really active with respect to cybersecurity enforcements lately, and they've indicated that they are ready to take a fairly bold um, and novel position on breach notification obligations. Um, same goes for cybersecurity expert expectations for general private sector companies. So I think the pro-regulatory tone of the national cyber strategy is likely to further embolden folks over at the FTC. Uh, so it's definitely an agency to keep an eye on. 
and I know you only asked for one, Tyler, but there's another thing I'm watching really closely, uh, and that's uh, at the state level. You know, you mentioned this earlier, Tyler, that um, there are new omnibus privacy laws that have affirmative cybersecurity obligations baked in. As these laws come into effect this year, it's going to be really important to keep an eye on enforcement trends there. Yeah, and I'll, I'll sort of grab a twofer as well. First, in the next few months, I want—I really want to see what the federal court in D.C. decides in the um, SEC's subpoena fight with Covington, the law firm, and whether the government is going to, you know, um, in response to that, or, or just more generally, try and rein in agencies who are who are poised to fragment cyber policy. Um, in that case, I think by revictimizing victims of cyber attacks, and then. Another piece I want to watch is sort of DOJ's overall tenor. They rolled out this civil false claims initiative for cybersecurity. And I found that a little troubling at the time because it seems to take a, a skeptical look at, at companies and, and maybe presume some, some inclination to bad faith. But I think, you know, there's been a, a very few actions taken under it. But I think that will be really important as well to look at when the government talks about, quote, accountability, kind of what that means as Kat said, at the FTC and at other agencies. So lots lots that I'm looking forward to. So this space isn't active at all, is what you guys are telling me. Very sleepy, very boring, <laughs> nothing to do. Not an area of concern for the government whatsoever. Um, so it, it really is pretty remarkable how many initiatives are coming out of D.C. this year. But on that note, I want to thank our guests, Megan Brown, Lynn Brown, and Kat Scott, for taking time out of their day to join me. Um, I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And as always, please feel free to reach out to anyone on this podcast. Should you need any further information on the multitude of cybersecurity regulations in the works these days. <laughs> Thanks, everybody.